1: this week on Huckabee, John Stubbins and Christine Bish. Best-selling author, Mitch Albom. TikTok sensation, Christian McCartney. And climb aboard, it's Pablo Cruise, That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey, and
2: And welcome everyone, a very warm welcome to you all, but a special hello tonight to Catherine Goldman. Catherine is 95 years old. She watches our show every week from the great state of Texas. So we give a little shout out to Catherine. Hope you continue to watch the show and make sure your neighbors do. We need the work, keep us employed. Hey, we're just hours away from the Iowa caucuses, which are gonna be the first real test of the 2024 presidential election. Having won the caucuses in 2008, I do understand some things about them and their importance. Now you're gonna hear some of the know-it-all news commentators talk about how irrelevant the caucuses are and that the winner of the caucuses don't often end up being the nominee. That may be, but the Iowa caucuses do a couple of things that the know-it-alls forget. First, It's not that the caucuses always pick the winner. It's that the caucuses eliminate some of the candidates that the media had picked to be the winners. It's not as much about them winning as it is about not losing. In 2008, my victory there was the undoing of Mitt Romney, Rudy Giuliani, and Fred Thompson. In 2012, when Rick Santorum had a surprise victory, it was the beginning of the end for Rick Perry, Newt Gingrich, and Michelle Bachmann. In 2016, it was the night that put Ted Cruz and Donald Trump in virtually a two-man race, and it also forecast the demise of Jeb Bush, Ben Carson, Rand Paul, and me. So yes, it's gonna be important to see who comes out of Iowa with momentum, but the real story is gonna be who crashes against the rocks and will never seriously sail again. Perhaps some will limp forward to New Hampshire or South Carolina, but the race will become populated with fewer candidates very soon after Iowa. And the caucuses are not like any election process. There is no early voting, no machine tabulations, no late night boxes suddenly discovered. On what is often one of the coldest nights of the entire winter, people have to leave their homes and assemble in public places like a school church, city hall, community center, our gymnasium. Once they're there, the candidates or their representatives make final pitches for the votes. People are asked to physically indicate who they support by going to a section of that facility. They'll vote on a ballot, but the numbers are known and reported immediately. There's none of the drama of waiting two weeks after the election to determine who won. And because the first in the nation primary in New Hampshire is just a week and a day later, most of the candidates who believe they still have a shot will be getting on airplanes that very night and they'll arrive in New Hampshire in the early morning hours of the next day. In 2008, when I won the caucuses, we enjoyed a wild celebration of our supporters by shocking the world with a victory. And about midnight, we boarded a chartered plane filled with our campaign workers press, many of whom hadn't bothered to pay attention to me before, and then supporters like Chuck Norris and his wonderful wife, Gina, who campaigned with me for several months in the race. By the way, people asked me, where did Chuck sit on the plane? And I told them wherever he wanted to. Well, we arrived in New Hampshire around 4 a.m., went to a hotel to freshen up, And then I started nonstop back-to-back press interviews with media from all over the world that lasted for four straight uninterrupted hours. There is no day off or resting. If you're still in the hunt, you continue the grueling pace of a campaign. Our team went months without eating a meal at a table with silverware or even ordering from menus. We ate every meal from a paper sack in a car or bus while traveling to the next event. The best way to describe a campaign is that you live off cold pizza and hot Cokes. And if there's any glamor in it, most of us never experienced it. But this insane process is how we actually pick the leader of the free world. Oh, it's messy at times, disgusting and it's beyond exhausting for most of us who engage in it. But it's still better than having a gunfight or a military coup d'etat to pick a president. Hey, if you're a political junkie, or even if you're not, my advice, pay attention to the events of the next 10 days. You might not yet know who will be president, but you will probably know some folks who most certainly will not be president. And that's the part of this whole thing that the know-it-alls in the media mob never really understand. Well, you don't have to cast your votes tonight for this show because Keith Bilbrey already has a wonderful lineup for you, and right now he's going to tell us all about it. Well,
1: still to come, the wacky comedian Christian McCartney performs. And later, Pablo Cruz performs their classic hit, Love Will Find a Way. All that and more tonight on Huckabee. Com and sign up for his free newsletter. And follow at Mike Huckabee on X.
2: Well, most people know that Adam Schiff is a fraud, but my next guests have tangible proof. Christine Bish works with the Republican party in California. She's also a congressional candidate in the California Sixth District near Sacramento. She's joined by actor, writer, producer, and voice artist, John Stubbins, who hosts his own show title, Indivisible. It centers on faith, family, and home. They together have Adam Schiff kind of cornered on five felony counts, and they filed paperwork with the House Ethics Committee. I want you to please make welcome Christine Bish and John Stubbins. Great to have you guys here. Christine, um, how did you get even interested and think there's something about Adam Schiff's uh, maybe behavior that's worth a look? What was it? Well,
3: (laughs) you know, it it started out, I was going after another uh, representative in Congress and had stumbled over a house ethics complaint back from 2008. Mm. where they had discovered that Adam Schiff and Doris Matsui mm. were actually claiming that their primary residences were in Maryland. So I started digging and uh, pulled all of their mortgage documents. And uh, you, we start looking and seeing all the things that Adam Schiff has been doing. I had to pick the monster. Uh. and And clearly, that is Adam Schiff.
2: Now, no. this is a guy who was waving his papers in the House committee saying, I've got hard proof that Donald Trump has colluded with the Russians. And he kept saying that, never produced a single piece of paper that validated that. So you started looking, I understand by training and profession, you're a realtor. You looked at real estate documents with Adam Schiff.
3: Yes, but I was also an investigator in a law firm for 10 years. Uh, during the the late 90s, early 2000s. Before that, I used to repossess cars.
4: She's a pit bull. Uh, Hey, Keith.
2: (laughs) Keith, they may have the keys to your car. I don't know, but I'll give you a ride if they repo your car. There you go. But
3: chasing bad guys is, you know, it's what I've done. I've had the opportunity to help a couple of bounty hunters track some people down. I'm not afraid of Adam Schiff. Or, or he's, he might be screaming that he has documents and he can prove whatever. I submitted a 164-page complaint to the House Ethics Committee. I'm ready to take him on and take him down.
2: That's right. You know, that's right. I hope you're successful. When you said we're not afraid of Adam Schiff, the one thing I'm afraid is that if he wins the Senate race that he has now injected himself into, he would be not one of 435 House members. He'd be one of 100 senators representing California and would probably be even worse than he was in the house. We've got to stop him. So let's talk about what is so problematic with his claiming his residence is Maryland when he's representing a congressional district in California.
3: So I'm going into this saying that Adam Schiff is a resident of Maryland, uh, of California, and he is duly elected to his congressional seat in California. That's where he's registered to vote. That's where he's filed paperwork under penalty of perjury that he is a resident so that he can represent his district in Los Angeles. That's problematic because on his mortgage documents from 2003 and each time he refinanced his house in Maryland, he said that he was a resident of the state of Maryland. Sir, that is perjury and that is mortgage fraud. Mm -hmm. And to prove my case, We just had Marilyn Mosby out of uh, Baltimore, Maryland. She was convicted on the perjury case. I've got more on Adam Schiff. Her trial for mortgage fraud and providing false information on a mortgage application begins on January 18th, and I've got more on Adam Schiff.
2: So John, from your perspective, you host a talk show. You got to know Christine. You've uh, worked with her in looking at the evidence that she's compiled. She brought me the investigation, initially. Will it go anywhere? Are there people in Congress that are paying attention to this and what the information is? Will it go anywhere?
4: I I believe it will, Governor. And the reason I I believe that is because if it doesn't go anywhere, then we're finished. Mm. That means there is absence completely of zero rule of law. And that will mean that Adam Schiff, if he wins his senatorial campaign, that he will have been elected unduly and illegally. Okay? This is, we've got him on five felony counts of mortgage fraud, okay? And, and believe me. And that's a federal issue. This is a federal issue. Okay, and, and believe me, I'm working right now on getting some attorney generals in different states behind this investigation, because some of the banks that are involved and some other parts that touch the investigation where they'll have uh, precedents to step in, okay? But sometimes we need a referral from, yeah. from a DA to get that done. So look, this show here, you, and I'm glad to be back here by the way, uh, Governor, but this show here uh, puts out the buzz. Yeah. Your show's always put out the buzz. And, uh, you know, and I think to myself, okay, Mike Huckabee show, everybody that's in this audience, these are serious people, okay? And I thought, you know, what about Huckabuzz? What about, what about <laughs> coining the phrase Huckabuzz uh-huh. and taking that phrase? Because here's the deal. We need people to stop sitting on their hands. People are sitting on their hands, and I know that there's there's senators, there's congresswomen out there right now that are going to be watching this show. And it is up to you. We contacted Anna Paulina's office. Mm-hmm. We contacted Byron Donalds. We contacted the House Ethics Committee. Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan. We haven't even filed with the, with the House Ways and Means Committee, but that's next on the chopping block. But the House Ethics Committee contacted me to let me know that this investigation is flagged so they are involved in, in in getting you know this investigation to its fruition.
2: Now the Health Esse- Ethics Committee could certainly censure him. They could say that he's done wrong, but that doesn't throw him out of no, Congress. you know
3: what does? They just removed uh, uh, George Santos. Yes, that's right. from uh, and they expelled him from Congress, which prevents him from ever serving in Congress again, which is the House and the Senate. Yeah. So I am demanding that Adam Schiff be expelled from Congress. Correct. There is more information and bigger (laughs) crimes on Adam Schiff. And I'm telling you, I'm doing this in my spare time. When I'm elected to Congress, wait till you see when I have a full staff, what kind (laughs) of evil we root out of Washington, DC.
2: I'm hoping that there'll be people in the press that will at least have enough integrity, which is hard to believe that there may be, but maybe somebody in the media will actually start looking at these facts because this is not a this is not a simple matter of him plagiarizing a speech.
3: Well, you know, the major media has covered it. They have. I, they I, have. I, I filed this original complaint on April 17th of 2023. We had uh, some, you know, Gateway pundit, some of the smaller media
4: outlets. MSNBC had, picked it up. CNN picked CNN, it up. But, but they, are they going to run with it? That's they, the question.
3: Well, they did. CNN ran it. Fox. Everybody's picked it up, and they said documents have surfaced that that show Adam Schiff is a resident of Maryland. Well, those documents didn't surface. The Tooth Fairy didn't drop them off. I've worked for two years to expose him, and I will not stop until I take him down.
4: That's right.
2: Well, we're going to keep following the case, and we hope that uh, you're going to be able to come back and give us the update. Right now, let us take you to Huckabee.tv, because if you do that, you can follow John, his show, Indivisible, his new movie project, which is titled, American Anarchy. And you can keep an eye on Christine Bish, because we have connections at our website, Huckabee.tv to Christine. Also follow her on the campaign trail this year. She's fighting to keep freedom and liberty alive in the People's Republic of California. Right now, Keith Bilbrey is gonna tell us what we have coming up next on the show. Keith? Well, straight from TikTok, Christian McCartney, ready to
1: go, so put on your seatbelt. And later, best-selling author Mitch Album talks about the dark power of lies. That's coming up on Huckabee!
2: And welcome back. Inspired by Jim Carrey and the Wayans Brothers, tonight's comedian began performing as a teenager in Baltimore. Since then, he has appeared with Comedy Legends. He's co-starred on the TV spinoff of one of our favorite movies, Mayberry Man. And he's an internet star. He's got over five million TikTok followers. I want you to welcome the very funny Christian McCartney.
0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, thank you guys so much. Um, it's a pleasure to meet you guys. My name is Christian McCartney. I'm 22 years old, and I'm an overthinker. OK? But it's easy, because like overthinking is so easy nowadays. Think about it. Have you ever seen somebody with their zipper down? And like you want to tell them, but you don't want them thinking that you were looking? <laughs> so you just zip it up for them, you know? <laughs> Nobody? No? no? Okay. No, my bad, sorry. <laughs> don't look at me like I'm crazy, okay? Everybody's crazy nowadays. I love mean crazy people, though. It is so much fun. But like, that's because it's always an adventure. You know what I mean? It is, and um, I don't like when crazy people try to hide that they're crazy, though. I don't, because they always say the same thing. They're like, oh, you have to get to know me <laughs> before you can see my crazy side. <laughs> We can see it, okay? We can, it's always an adventure when you meet crazy people. Just this past June, I was in my hometown and I was hanging out in the Walmart parking lot. And this crazy lady whom I have never met before, she just started screaming. She said, I want everyone here to know that I am available for marriage. (laughs) Is anyone here interested? Mind you, I was the only person there, okay? (laughs) I was like, how did you get in my car? (laughs) And we've been happily married since, so. (laughs) She got me. (laughs) But it's all I actually, my old job, I used to work with clinically crazy people. Um, I worked at a gas station, (laughs) but I was the night shift hmm the graveyard shift, oh yes. Look, working the graveyard shift, it really showed me just how unique and special God's creatures really are. <laughs> For example, I think they call it the graveyard shift because most of the customers that come in look like zombies, okay? They come in just, hey. <laughs>
3: Can I
0: have $3 on pump seven? <coughs> I've actually had people ask me for $3 on pump seven. I was like, where are you trying to go, pump (laughs) eight? These night shift creatures, they're just dangerous to society, okay? There was one that I was cleaning a window, just This dude came up, slammed his face on the glass. He went I was like, how are you my manager, dude? (laughs) Oh my goodness. It's insane, but like some of these customers, they taught me some very important life lessons. Like one gentleman taught me how to get out of any uncomfortable situation. I'll never forget the conversation. He was like, Christian, Christian, have you ever been in an uncomfortable situation? I was like, yes, I am right now, actually. (laughs) He's like, well, the easiest way to escape, just play dead. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, well, you see. (laughs) And it hurts, but it works, okay? (laughs) It does work. And there were plenty of uncomfortable situations at that gas station. One night, a gentleman came in, and his name tag said Dan, D-A-N. So he went shopping, I rang him up, he paid, it was a traditional transaction. Then it got weird. Cause Dan started to walk away and the right side of my brain wanted to say, goodbye Dan. But the left side of my brain wanted to say goodbye buddy. And my mouth ended up saying goodbye daddy. <laughs> and this trucker turned around and looked at me. He was like, bye bye boo boo, <laughs> I'll see you later. <laughs> Dan was wild, yo, but like, My whole family has worked at this gas station. They have, and my sister still works there. And I think that's why she now has an emotional support animal. She does. And she was the first person in our family to get one. So we were really excited for her. We were like, Madison, this could really change things for you. This is awesome. But then she got a Chihuahua. And if you know what a Chihuahua looks like, then you'll understand why I asked her this. I said, Madison, why does your emotional support animal look like it needs more emotional support than you do, and like, I wasn't trying to be mean, I was genuinely concerned for her, because like, her and that dog, they need the same help. It's like this, it's like, if you were to go to a speech therapist, and on the first day, the therapist answered the door, and they said, nice to see you. You'd be like, uh, we're in the same situation. <laughs> You know what I mean? That's how it is with this dog. <laughs> but, like, my sister, she tried explaining it to me. She was like, Christian, Christian, every single day I wake up and I look down into Chico's little bulging eyeballs, and it just fills me with peace, joy, and hope. Hope for a better tomorrow. And then I looked down at Chico, and this is what that dog looked like. He was just... <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I felt bad, right? Because I meant to say "aw," but I accidentally said "ah." She's like, do you want to hold him? Do you want to hold him? I was like, oh, well, you see. (laughs) Look, y'all, before I get out of here, I want you guys to know, laughter is great medicine, but Jesus Christ is the only healer. Thank you guys so much. (laughs)
2: Uh, Thank you, Christian. Thank you so much. You know, I'm watching you fall down on this stage and I'm thinking, do that while you're 22, because when you're my age, you can only go down. You can't get back up, brother, I'm telling you now. Hey, we've loved having Christian here and if you wanna have him, check for tour dates, hilarious videos, booking information to come to your community and a whole lot more. Join the millions following Christian McCartney on social media. How to do that? Go to huckabee.tv. We have the connections for you. Keith Bilbrey is gonna tell us what we've got lined up for the rest of the show. Keith, tell us about it. Well, up next, author Mitch Albom's
1: new book is about a little liar. And you can trust me on that, I promise. Also, Pablo Cruz is in the house. We'll be right back.
2: Welcome back. Mitch Albom has been called the Babe Ruth of popular literature because he hits a home run every time he is at bat. His books have sold, get this, over 40 million copies in 48 languages, including one of the best loved memoirs of all time, the book Tuesdays with Maury. He's got a new historical novel. It's called The Little Liar. It's set during the Holocaust and examines how lies can affect our lives, even across decades. It's a real honor to welcome to the show one of the most extraordinary authors alive today, Mitch Albom. Mitch, great to have you. Thank you. You know, before we get into the new book, Tuesdays with Maury just hit 25 years in the marketplace. It's still changing lives today. I'm, I'm wondering, did you ever imagine writing that book was going to have such an international impact on
5: people not in any way I, in fact uh, i only wrote the book to pay Maury's medical bills because he was dying from lou gehrig's disease mm-hmm. and every publisher i went to said not interested boring you're a sports writer you don't know what you're doing and uh, i would have probably given up if it wasn't for the fact that i was trying to pay his medical bills so we kept pushing until one publisher three weeks before he died agreed to publish the book and it came out. They only published 20,000 copies for the whole world. I thought I'd have them in the trunk of my car my whole life, giving them out to everybody (laughs) who passed. And people started reading it and it became uh, something I never could have imagined. You have such a gift. I mean, it literally is, it's not a talent,
2: it's a gift. To me, that's way above a talent. And your gift is as a storyteller, you put the reader into the middle of the story and you feel like it. And when I was reading The Little Liar, I mean, I was just engrossed in the fact that I I felt like I was looking in on these three people whose lives were transformed because of somebody lying. I don't want you to give the book away, but give us a summary of of this incredible book set in what is arguably the most horrible time in human history, the Holocaust.
5: Yeah, well, it's uh, basically an epic sort of story about uh, hope and and forgiveness narrated by the voice of truth. So truth is actually telling you the story about one of its favorite children, an 11 year old boy named Nico who'd never told a lie in his life. And when the Nazis invade his uh, neighborhood in Greece, they find out about him and they decide to use him as a weapon. So they steal him from his family and they say, you can go back to your family very soon. All you have to do is stand on these railroad tracks and tell the people who are getting onto the trains that they're going to good jobs and good homes, and then you can go home. And so he does this thinking he's telling them the truth. and. After two weeks, the very last train, he sees his family and the girl that he loves being shoved into one of these boxcars, and he finds out that the cars are actually going to Auschwitz, the Mm. concentration camps. Mm. And it turns out that this first lie of his life is the worst lie of his life, and it follows him for the next 40 years and shows the ramifications of this one lie, as you pointed out, on him, on his brother, on the girl who loves him, how one lie can affect all those lives for 40 years, and what he does to seek to be forgiven from that lie.
2: And I think the power of the book is not just the story, but it's also weaving for all of us who read it, uh, an understanding of here's the danger of a lie. Here's the impact. Yes. So it, it has an application. It's a story set in a particular historical
5: period, but the application is timeless. It's actually timely because yeah. of what's going on today. You know, the very famous expression, uh, a lie told once is easily seen as a lie. A lie told a thousand times becomes the truth. Mm. And you think about the world that we live in today where you can say one sentence and it can be around the world before anybody gets a chance to deny it and it becomes the truth. So we live in a time where truth is very precarious and we need to be careful about
2: it. You know, uh, I'm not gonna spoil the end of the book because honestly, that last page. (laughs) Yes, no, I'm not gonna do it because I got to it and it was like a gut punch. Yeah. And one of the reasons I hope people will read the book, but don't read it in advance. When I say in advance, read it in order. Don't go to the back of the book right. and read the end because it has such a powerful conclusion. I wasn't ready for that. I didn't see it coming. Mm-hmm. So you did a masterful job of surprising, I think the reader, um, but also it was such a powerful way to conclude this story. You know, hope is something you have given to other people. The uh, organization you've created, Have Faith Haiti. You have been there many times. You've created an organization to help the people of Haiti. We're coming up on the 13th anniversary of the 14th anniversary of the earthquake of January 12th, 2010. What is it that caused you to get involved? And what is it that you're able to do through the organization, Have Faith Haiti?
5: Well, I went to Haiti just a few weeks after the earthquake. Um, I got involved with an orphanage there. I was so taken by the kids and their attitude—they have so little. It's the second-poorest country in the world, but they're so joyous, so faithful that I began to go back every month. I've been there every month since for the last 14 years. I go every, every month, every month I go. Yeah. Every month I run the orphanage now. The the pastor there kind of turned it over to me and said, "You know, you think you can run it? Okay." And we never saw him again. And uh, <laughs> still waiting for that. But uh, uh, we have 65 kids at any given time. We have. Um, 12 kids right now, believe it or not, Mike, in, in college in the United States, and one of them in medical school. Wow. And these are kids who started with absolutely nothing. Yeah. What a story. Yeah.
2: You know, the beautiful thing about that story, it's not fiction. I
4: That's mean, this, right.
2: this is the real deal. These yeah. are people whose lives have been transformed because you just cared about them when
5: other people turned the other way. And they inspired me very much, even in this book, The Little Liar. In fact, you know, we have no television, we have no internet, we have no, uh, uh, computers or cell phones. So I get to see what childhood really looks like. And our kids read, they read, they love to read. So I actually give them my books before I finish them. And I say, what do you think? And, and you know, I get some pretty good ideas from some of the 14 and 15 year olds and their their hope inspires me. I think if they can be, if they can be optimistic and faithful and joyous, then we certainly can with all we're blessed with here. I
2: think it's amazing. Every month you go and you've worked with these kids.
5: It, it's not just uh, you
2: started the foundation, you send them a check oh, no. and that's the end of it. I mean, I don't know of anyone who is as invested as you are in the lives of these kids, and I think it's something we can all salute you for.
5: Well, I look at them as our children, and um, we were brought a little girl uh, last year who was brought to us at six months, weighing seven pounds. Mm-hmm. She'd had nothing to eat in her life but sugar water. Oh. Can you believe that? And um, the doctors, when we brought her up here, said, we've never seen anything like this. We don't know if she's what's gonna happen to her. But they said, pray and feed her. Hmm. And I have found that food and love are pretty powerful combination. And she just passed her second birthday. She still lives with us, um, but she's become a huge part of our life. And she now dances and speaks and she's, you know, she's picked up a phone and says, hello, Dada, what's up? You know, so Hmm. uh, she's, she's thrived. And to see that happen, to see how lives can be changed with what is to me relatively little of my time or my effort compared to the problem Um, So you talk about my going there every month as if it's some kind of sacrifice. I see it as a gift. Well, you're giving a gift to
2: the world, uh, not only by what you're doing, but what you're writing and the powerful message of it. Mitch, what an honor to have you here. It's a pleasure, thank you. Mitch Albom's novel, The Little Liar is available right now. I hope you'll go to Huckabee.tv. We will connect you to his website. You can order the book and you can also find out more about Have Faith Haiti, the orphanage. Now, speaking of things, That is not a lie. Keith Bilbrey has something to tell us, and I swear he is not a liar. He is going to tell us the truth. He's going to do it right now.
1: Thank you very much, Governor. Tell that to my wife, okay? Coming up, we take a deep dive into the news, and we found a few stories that couldn't possibly be true. In case you missed it, it's next, don't go away. Get your very own Made in the USA Huckabee mugs, t-shirts, and
3: more.
2: Well, you know something, Keith? I say it often, but one of my favorite parts of doing this show is getting to hear and enjoy the phenomenal music of Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. The The best best band, not just in Nashville, Music City, but in the country, the best. Well, from diamonds in your pockets to otters in your shorts, we got the news that'll make you sit up and take notice on this edition of In Case You Missed It. All right, let's start off 2024 with a gem of a story. Some people say that poking around in a muddy field isn't a good way to spend your vacation. Well, don't tell that to Jerry Evans of Lepanto, Arkansas, because he was visiting the Crater of Diamond State Park in my home state of Arkansas, when he saw what he thought was just a piece of glass laying in the dirt, so he put it in his pocket. Turned out it was a 4.8 carat diamond. And when you go to the diamond mine, it's the only place in America where you can search for diamonds and you take home what you find. Now that's over 50% bigger, that diamond, 4.8 carats, 50% bigger than the diamond that those Chinese energy executives gave Hunter Biden. Whoa. (laughs) And Jerry didn't even have to introduce anyone to his dad. So I don't know how much that diamond is worth, but in this economy, I'll bet it's more than two months salary. I, I wouldn't bet. It. Yeah. Well, Trey Corley, his his wife has got one that's at least five carats. I'm that's sure. Five and a half. You know, right. I just heard today, literally they found a seven and a half carat diamond at the uh, diamond mine in Murfreesboro, Arkansas
4: today. Really?
2: Yep, wow. they did. Hey, speaking of finding treasures in the park, this next story is about a woman who fell in love with a tree. And no, it's not Tipper Gore. <laughs> This is a true story. A woman in British Columbia claims she's an echosexual. You ever heard of that? Ah, uh, that's a new one. on yeah, Well, this? it was to me too. An echosexual. That's someone who finds nature romantic and sexy. So every day as she'd walk through the woods, she began feeling attracted to a certain oak tree. She found herself pining for it. Pining. See what I did there? This is not yeah. true. This cannot be true. Hey, an oak, she
1: between an oak and a pine. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay.
2: But she must like the strong, silent type. Now I know, he, <laughs> It may sound sappy, oh. but she says she's in love with the tree. She claims she'll never leaf it. But I doubt that. Leaf it. Yeah. Leaf it. There's a country song here. Somewhere there is a country song. Eventually, she's going to start complaining that he never talks about his feelings. That he takes her nowhere. Personally. I think she's barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> I suspect she'd have more in common with a nut tree is what I'm yeah. thinking. Yeah. Well, in a related story, the smokinggun.com reports that a 20 year old woman in St. Petersburg, Florida got arrested for allegedly beating her boyfriend with a Christmas tree on Christmas <laughs> Eve. Oh, that's that. Hmm. Yeah. Talk about getting decked with bowels of holly. <laughs> <laughs> Police say it all started when one of them started needling the other about infidelity. Now, it's not clear whether the boyfriend was seeing another woman or she was in love with the Christmas tree. We don't really know. He did suffer minor scratches. There was a song about that.
1: She's in love with the tree.
2: That's right. She's in love with the tree. I think that was the song. You ought to tell Trisha Yearwood about that. Maybe she could re-record it. But anyway, the girl got charged with domestic battery and placed on Santa's naughty list, and she'll probably never get away. Oh, no. By the way, good news the tree was released on its own recognizance. <laughs> now, to show how high California real estate prices are, here is a fixer upper in San Jose listed at just one and a half million dollars. Wow. It's a home that has six bedrooms, four bathrooms, and it has a unique feature its own meth lab. There you go. Yeah. Well, that's good because to pay that much for this house, you'd have to be on meth. I mean, you really. would. Now the realtor notes that the meth lab is inactive, so don't expect it to help pay the mortgage. One more tiny little problem. The house also contains, quote, meth smoke contamination, end quote. So once you move in and start inhaling, you'll probably think it's a good idea to reelect Gavin Newsom, governor of California. <laughs> Finally, a Hux criminal mastermind was arrested at the Bangkok airport as he was trying to fly home to Taiwan. Security noticed an odd bulge in his clothes. A search revealed that he was trying to smuggle a live prairie dog and two small clawed otters in his boxer shorts. Ooh. Thank goodness they were small-clawed animals, right? I, I bet he had a wiggle like Elvis Presley. <laughs> yeah. <my laughs> well, anyway, he's facing multiple charges that he can't weasel out of, that's for sure. By the way, in case you're wondering, the prairie dog and the two otters were in separate socks, duct tape into his shorts, proving, once again, that duct tape can fix um, anything. Anything. Yeah. Anything. And on that note, we... Otter, in this bit. <laughs> but until next time, we read the news. So you don't have to. Well, you stay right where
1: you are because Pablo Cruz performs next right here on Huckabee. Huckabee next week for Hollywood actor Neil McDonough and Grammy award-winning singer-songwriter Victory
2: and welcome back everyone Pablo Cruz burst into the scene in the mid- 70s with smooth sounding hits like What you gonna do when she says goodbye, a place in the sun and love will find a way. After seven albums, they took a break. But 20 years later, they reformed and boy are we glad they did because ever since, They've been releasing new music and performing all over the world. In March of this year, they're gonna be part of the 70s Rock and Romance Cruise, along with acts like Ambrosia, Firefall, Dave Mason, and more. Please welcome founding members and songwriters of Pablo Cruz, Dave Jenkins, and Corey Larios. Great to have you guys here. You know, America and the world has been grooving to your music for 50 years. I can't believe you took 20 years off. What were you thinking? Uh-huh, that's what we, we keep asking ourselves. You ask that. yourself yeah. that.
4: Well, there, was, there were a lot of reasons we went different uh, places, but we came getting it back together was the greatest thing.
2: It's so amazing that you're playing the music as if you're just getting started with it and just loving it. And you know, when the audience hears you, it just brings back so many great memories of listening to the tunes it Pablo does, it
4: definitely does.
2: But you know, the musicianmanship that you guys bring to the songs is a lot of why I think they've lasted and they're still popular today. Dave, in that 20-year period, um, did you think you would get back together, that the band would ever once again be I, I, racing state? it was always a possibility. Um, I was busy doing uh, country rock band Southern Pacific, and I played
1: with Buddy Miles for a while. We had a really good band, and... and uh, Went to Hawaii and recorded an album there with one of my one of Hawaii's favorite sons, Kapono Beamer, and and I stayed busy with stuff. But I always, in the back of my mind, I always thought, yeah, Pablo got back together, it'd be fun. So
4: Twenty years off was a good thing because when we got back together, we kind of recognized we'd written some songs that were kind of timeless and they're fun to play. People are still out there, you know, coming to see the shows, and so it it, it sort of enhanced the whole situation. If, I, I if think- we kept going, we didn't want to turn into, you know, just beating dogs in a bus.
2: Yeah, but you know what I think is that when people hear the music, it's so timeless. It's, it's just, there is no limit on the enjoyment of it. And I listen to stuff today, no offense to the modern artists, but some of them I'm thinking, you know, I don't know anybody who's gonna be listening to this stuff in 50 years. Right. When they hear your tunes, they are up on their feet, they wanna clap, they wanna dance, they wanna have a great time. Good. Yeah. Well, Keith, while the band is getting ready to perform, I want you to tell the viewers how they can keep up with Pablo Cruz and in fact, go on a cruise with them.
1: Well, you can find links to all the band's music, their upcoming tour dates, including the 70s rock and romance cruise, and much more, all at huckabee.tv. Now, performing their classic hit, Love Will Find a Way. Here's Pablo Cruz! When everything's coming down all around you, seems like you're falling upon someone's trying to drown you. You don't know where to turn. You just don't know what to say. You just gotta believe, baby. Love will find a way.
4: That's right. Love, love will.